We're continuing our trek through Paul's letter to the Roman church, and we find ourselves in the second half of Romans 14 today. Last week, Pastor Derek challenged us all when it comes to matters of conscience. There are certain matters that are not inherently sinful, but the way in which we handle them or approach them can cause them to become sinful. In particular, we think of matters such as whether or not we choose to consume alcohol or what music or TV shows or movies we allow ourselves to be entertained by or what forms of dress or appearance we consider to be acceptable. For instance, personally, I have a conviction that yoga pants are unacceptable. Uh, I don't want you all to lust or covet when you see my, my stretchy spandex, especially when it says juicy across the booty. I, I don't want to put you in that position. Uh, but seriously, though, these matters of conscience, they're a unique struggle that we find as co-laborers from different backgrounds and with different convictions. And last week, we focused primarily on how to handle these matters of conscience But today we're going to look specifically at how we interact with others who have different convictions. I will say from the get-go that there are absolutely some things that are simply right or wrong. God has declared them to be right or wrong. It's almost like the the heavenly because I said so, right? Uh, But we must remember that he isn't making up rules just to confine us or to limit our personal expression, as some might claim. Instead, what God has commanded us to do or not do is for our good. He is the creator. He is the one who knew us in our mother's womb. He knit us together. He is also the one who created the systems and the confines of nature. So when God gives us a clear command in Scripture... We have to believe that he's not being a malicious bully in the sky. Instead, he's giving us these things as an act of love. I would imagine many of you have experienced something similar to this, but recently my son Judah, who's two going on 16, uh, he was riding his little scoot car in our driveway, and I noticed a truck was coming down our street, so I, I said, Judah, there's a truck coming, stay back from the road. And that was an act of love, right? I gave him a clear command in order to protect him. But when he disobeyed my command or ignored my command and continued toward the road, I ran after him and I shouted, Judas, stop! And of course it scared him and he started crying. But let me ask the question, was my command unloving because it upset him? Or was it still loving but misunderstood by my son? As we consider the clear commands of God given in Scripture, let me challenge you, particularly if you feel that the commands are unloving or restrictive of your freedoms or desires, let me challenge you to pause and consider three simple questions. First, does God know more than I do? Second, does he have my best interests in mind? 
And third, is it possible that I could be misunderstanding what is truly best in this situation? By the way, the answer to all three of those is always yes. So after we've taken a moment to humbly consider the command and the giver of the command, we should joyfully submit to what God has clearly revealed in Scripture. Now, that's the easy part, what Scripture is clear on. But what about the situations where Scripture is less clear or where we find ourselves at odds with a sister or a brother in a matter of freedom? That's where our text takes us today. So let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 14. I'll be reading from verses 13 through 23. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, so we're picking up mid-thought in our text. So let's make sure that we understand the full context of what's going on. Uh, remember the, the situation in Rome here. The Roman church is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And the Jewish brothers and sisters were forced out of Rome under the uh, command of a certain emperor. And over a course of about five years, there were zero Jews in Rome. But that emperor was murdered, and when the next came on the scene, the Jews were suddenly allowed back into Rome. So over that five-year period, those Gentiles who had remained in Rome had taken over leadership. They had established the new normal of the church in that society. And when the Jews returned, though what they discovered wasn't sinful, it was very different from what they had known and understood to be right and proper. So as this context is going on, they're trying to figure out how to interact together and how to follow Christ with different convictions of what is right and how they should live faithfully. But in Rome, the situation took a, a step further and became sinful. 
in this situation, they began judging one another for their different convictions. And in doing so, they needed correction. So Paul writes this letter and here gives them coaching on how to interact with others with different convictions. Now, these followers on both sides fell into uh, the wrong side here. Uh, Paul actually begins the, the section leading up to this. He says, Why do you judge and despise your brothers and sisters who have different convictions than you? And he lays out the proper perspective for us. He says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. In other words, don't pretend like you've got it all figured out. Don't pretend like you're better. And don't pretend like you are outside of judgment altogether. So hear me, what I'm about to say could easily be misunderstood. But I think we need to address it here. It's not wrong for a Christian to judge. I would bet most of you, if you have any religious upbringing, your mind jumps back to Jesus' words, judge not lest you be judged, right? You, you hear that in your mind, and we think, well, doesn't that say that we're not supposed to judge? That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Let's actually see his words in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So what did Jesus say? He says, don't judge others unfairly, or don't judge others according to a different standard than what you are willing to be judged by, or don't judge others without first submitting yourself to Jesus' judgment. So hear me again, it's not wrong for a Christian to judge, but we must do it with careful examination of self and we must do it with caution and concern toward others. Remember, the goal of judgment is not to win a settlement. This is not Judge Judy. The goal of judgment is to help others know and experience the love of Jesus. And if we're going into judgment, trying to get the splinter out of a brother or sister's eye by using a chainsaw instead of forceps, we're not doing it in love. So let's reread Paul's words to the Roman church, verses 13 through 15 again. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So this morning, our first action point, our first challenge is this. In matters of conscience, walk in love. 
Some of you may have encountered other Jesus followers who, although likely well-intentioned, made judgments on a matter of conscience that was not done in love or communicated with love. And for that, I apologize. It should not be this way. That is not Christ's heart. But we must remember that this unloving judgment can come from either side of the issue where a person bound by convictions judges those living in freedom or those living in freedom judging those bound by their convictions. We can be guilty on either side of the issue. And to both sides, Paul says, stop judging each other. Instead, judge yourself. How are you going to respond to someone who has a different conviction? Make a judgment or a decision or a determination instead of tripping people up over either how you live your convictions or your freedoms. Instead of tripping people up, make the judgment yourself to extend a hand to help them stay up. Although the judgment can certainly go either direction in our fleshly hearts, Paul gives the responsibility of this challenge to those that he calls the strong. And he places the onus or the the weight of the challenge on their shoulders. He tells these stronger sisters and brothers, determine never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, what does this look like in reality? Let's say the matter of concern is something like watching a particular movie. Now, personally, I love movies. I think they can be an incredible way to tell a story effectively and to engage our emotions. But there are also costs that come with movies. I think we could all agree with that. Because they're such an engaging form of storytelling, You may replay certain parts of a film in your mind that are not God-honoring. Or you may even find that the fantasy world being portrayed on on film is better than yours, and you would begin to covet or desire or just become less satisfied with the reality in which you live. So let's say, in the context of a film, a stronger follower may choose to see a certain film that another would not. That stronger follower of Jesus should not judge a brother or sister who decides not to watch a film, no matter how good they think that film is. And that stronger individual must consider how best to love those whose convictions won't allow them to watch it. So let's just think through this. Here are a few ways that it would not be loving to speak or communicate to someone with stronger convictions on this matter. It would not be loving to start up a conversation with your friends so that this person hears over and over again what a great film it is. That would not be loving. It would not be loving to ask a person over and over again why they won't see it. It would not be loving to buy them a movie ticket and say, come on, it's just a film, it's not gonna hurt you. It would be loving, though, to change the channel or skip the ad whenever it comes on the screen. 
it would be loving to have a conversation with that person and let them know that you understand their convictions and you're not ever going to pressure them on it. And it would be loving to humbly go to them and say, how can I best honor you in this situation? Those would be loving ways to treat someone with different convictions than you. And to be clear, this same equation can come into play in a myriad of ways. The matters of concern may change, but how we treat one another should not. Whether the issue is around what you put on your body, what you put in your body, or the activities that you engage in, the stronger believer is always to one, not judge unfairly, and two, love, walk in love. Paul's words in verse 15 should give us all reason to stop and consider. He says, do not destroy by what you eat or insert any matter of conscience. Do not destroy someone for whom Christ died. What do you love more? Friends, you and I are never more like Jesus than when we lay down our rights out of love for another. We're never more like Jesus than when we lay down our rights out of love for another. Let's continue on to verses 16 through 19. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul tells us, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now remember, he's talking to the stronger believers here, and he's telling them, don't let your Christian freedom be spoken of as evil. Now that sounds a bit strange, but consider if one of the strong pursued their freedom in such a way that led a weaker brother or sister to go against their conscience and sin, that freedom, which in and of itself is a good thing, would have become twisted for evil. So Paul tells these believers, when you do the right thing the wrong way, you're doing the wrong thing. I came across a story about two young brothers, and these boys were walking near a pond when the older brother suddenly pushed the younger one down into the dirt. And their mom saw it happen and came out to see what was going on. Why did the older brother push his brother down? And she asked him, and he said, I was on goose poop patrol, and I didn't want him to step in it. And, I mean, he accomplished his mission, right? His brother did not step and said goose poop. But by doing so, he actually harmed his brother. And friends, you and I can fall into that as well if we don't carefully consider how to love our brothers and sisters. We may cause harm while technically carrying out what we've been given. So I think before we go any further, 
we have to ask this defining question. What do you love or what do you value more? If you love your freedom more than your fellow Jesus follower, you don't really love either. You don't love the freedom and you don't love the follower because your selfishness reveals your lack of love for other Jesus followers and your abuse of the freedom actually casts an ugly shadow on Christian liberty itself. So how can we do the right thing the right way? How do we find the right balance between our love for other followers of Jesus and our love for the freedoms that he brings? The next challenge speaks to this concern. In matters of conscience, pursue peace. Paul reiterates, saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So friends, if you're going to prioritize one over the other, ditch what's temporary and choose what is eternal. Every time, ditch the freedom in order to honor the soul. Like Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or I think we could insert, what will it profit a man if he enjoys all the freedoms this world has to offer but destroys his brother or sister in the process? Now notice that Paul uses the word peace here and not conformity. It's not your job, stronger believer, to convert the weak to your perspective or for you to completely abandon the freedom and liberty that you graciously receive. That's not your job to do either. Peace often means agreement to come together, but it, it rarely means total agreement. However, peace does require the laying down of arms. It's a recognition that the other is not the enemy. And honestly, I think that is a massively overlooked truth. If we agree on who Jesus is and how we receive salvation, there's almost no earthly matter that should break our peace with one another. Certainly not a matter of conscience. Again, peace doesn't mean complete agreement or uniformity. You don't have to accept another person's convictions as your own, but as the stronger sister or brother, peace does mean temporarily laying aside your freedom in order to honor and serve the weaker individual. So now let's close out this chapter. Verses 20 through 23, Paul says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul keeps pointing to the magnitude of what's at stake. This is not a light matter or something to be flippant about. He says, 
Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And again, I would argue that the stronger Christ followers should be aware of the weight of this responsibility. One commentator says that that phrase, work of God, actually means the entire church. In other words, abusing our liberty can destroy the testimony of all of Christ's followers. So how do we go about walking this tightrope? How do we find balance between honoring the weaker sisters and brothers and enjoying the full gifts of the Christian freedom? Paul counsels us, in matters of conscience, proceed from faith. He says this phrase that at first may be misunderstood. He says essentially, keep your faith between yourself and God. Now, I'm sorry if this bursts your bubble. This is not a get out of evangelism free card. <laughs> you can't say, Paul says that I have to keep my faith between myself and God. Now, this, this means that we shouldn't brag about living in certain freedoms. We shouldn't pit ourselves against one another and say, I embrace this freedom and you, you suffer the weight of this conscience. It's not a comparison game. This is between ourself and our Lord. When he has given us a conscience, that we live within that conscience. Paul reinforces that our freedoms are good things not to be ashamed of. But we need to be cautious in how we express these freedoms. Because we may unintentionally throw off our chains in such a way that they fall on and burden and bind our brothers and sisters. Ultimately, we are people of faith and we should desire for others to live in light of the faith that we've received. And when we're able to walk in love and pursue peace, it opens the door for others to proceed from faith as well. Now, they may not partake of the same freedoms that you and I do, but they can embrace the faith. They can walk in that. They can make their decisions from that. Our desire for our brothers and sisters isn't that they conform to our standards, but that their faith defines their choices. So friends, may we recognize that loving our brothers and sisters is more important than living our freedoms. Loving our brothers and sisters is more important than living our freedoms. So maybe that means that we need to take some careful examination of how we have treated others up to this point. Maybe you are one of the strong that Paul speaks to here and you recognize that you haven't been loving or peaceable toward those whose conscience doesn't allow them to enjoy some things that you do. Maybe your next step is to humbly approach those that you may have offended and ask for their forgiveness. Or maybe you need to examine what your parameters are for enjoying certain freedoms. Or maybe you're on the other side of the equation and your conscience hasn't allowed you to entertain certain freedoms. Maybe your next step is to determine in your heart not to judge others who partake of those God-given freedoms. Or maybe you need to spend some solo time with the Lord 
examining whether your convictions are from a place of faith or not. But our ultimate question for all of us is does the way that I live, whether embracing or withholding from certain freedoms, does the way that I live help others to see the love and life of Jesus more clearly? Or does it cause them to stumble? As people who have been set free from sin and death, we are new creations. We have been given life abundant. And our lives should be an example of what true life looks like. So we should be joyful and thankful and walking in peace with our brothers and sisters. Now, some of you may not have taken that step of faith yet. You may have come here today totally dependent on yourself, not trusting in Jesus and truly enslaved to sin as we all once were. Now, scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages or the consequences of sin is death. That means that all of us deserve to die because we've broken God's plan for our lives by sinning against him. But there's some really good news. Jesus loved you enough to take the death that you deserve. Even when we were called his enemies, he died in our place. And we all have the freedom to walk empowered, forgiven, and alive by putting our trust in him and admitting our sins and sharing what he has done in our life with others. That is where life and freedom